This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. we got a great program for you today. We are going to be talking about policing in schools. You know, it used to be that you would just get in a little bit of trouble. Detention. You'd Yeah, if you're being naughty, the teacher would say, I'm sending you to the principal's office. And you'd be like, ah! Now you get tased. <laughs> now you get arrested. Or worse, yeah. And you get handcuffed and... Our teacher those? would take our shoes. Really? She would take our shoes away. What would she do with them? She'd put them in the, quote, parking lot, which was just a corner in the room. Oh, to park your shoes? Yeah. Then you were not allowed, I guess, that that meant you weren't going to recess? Um, or did you, like, have foot shame? <laughs> it was mostly shame. Can you imagine somebody taking your shoes in front of your peers? I, I think I'd be fine with it. My pants, that's another issue. That is an odd punishment. I will take your shoes. It might make sense because then you're like, now you can't. You're not like everyone else. And if you're in second grade, maybe that's a big deal because your shoes used to light up. They still do. (laughs) Your your shoes light up? No, my nephews uh, walk in on Saturday with with these shoes on where you can tap a button and and it changes... The, the the color of the light, so you can manipulate the oh, colors. Yeah. But That's, this one, actually, you turn it on, it's a flashlight and has a compass on it, so it's like survival shoes. Wow. Yeah. Seemed like a little overkill. I think if I was a teacher, I'd take those away. <laughs> Just seemed like a toy. Spoiled brat. Take your survival shoes away. So we will be talking about policing in schools. Is it beneficial having the cops there i mean when you think about you know the new town issue massacre and the and all of the uh columbine all of these shooting situations it'd be nice to have a police officer on scene except what about just the kid that's being naughty then what then there's trouble we'll talk about that with dr jason nance who's been studying it extensively and uh again it's not necessarily creating equality in the classrooms either some Minorities are being uh, singled out more than others. So we'll get to that along with uh, other Friday fun. We've got a a lot of uh, interesting uh, things to celebrate today. By the way, September 9th is Wonderful Weirdos Day. Shampoo is better. I go on first and clean the hair. You can't be just boom, boom. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. (laughs) It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. (laughs) Some of those voices sounded familiar. And weird. Totally weird. Wonderful Weirdos Day. Nothing quite as dull as being normal, boring, or average. Today's the day we celebrate being weird. And celebrate the weirdos in your life on Wonderful Weirdo Day. You can, in fact, uh, maybe give someone a call. Say, I just wanted to thank you for being such a weirdo. So if you get or if you receive a call like that, it means you're special. It's also Hug Your Boss Day. Does someone need a hug? He took the day off. I know. Our bo- I, you know why? Because I told him yesterday, I'm going to give you a hug, Don. 
Wow. That will turn you inside out. I saw that, that email come out. And like, he took a day off on Hug Your Boss Day? Totally. Not a coincidence. The funny thing with the three of us is we don't know who's the boss. So well, we Don don't know. Who, well, now Don's gone. Tony yeah. Danza? Oh, Tony Danza. That was a great show. Who's the boss? Well, it was an okay show. Tony Danza? It filled 30 minutes. Tell me if you were a single mom, you wouldn't want Tony Danza as your housekeeper guy. I, I wouldn't know. I'm not a single mom. Call one. Okay. Get her on the line. Hug your boss today, but be careful. You know, make sure HR's not around. We also, uh, we, we've got just, of course, some crazy stories to bring up uh, as well, plus a little uh, Putin update. Donald Trump update, little Hillary Clinton update. Stick with us. We'll get to all of that. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on? Mike Pence on Thursday defended his running mate statement praising Vladimir Putin as having been far more of a leader than our president, telling CNN that it is an indisputable fact. I think it's inarguable that Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin has been a strong leader in his country than Barack Obama has been in this country. And that's going to change the day that Donald Trump becomes president. Donald Trump gave an exclusive interview to Larry King on the Kremlin-owned network Russia Today on Thursday. He commented on the hacking of the Democratic National Committee earlier this year, believed to be sourced back to Russian influence trying to sway the U.S. election. It's probably unlikely, Trump said, when if the, tr- if the Russians were to be blamed. House Speaker Paul Ryan again broke with Donald Trump, rebuking his party's presidential nominee on Wednesday night comments in which he praised Vladimir Putin and suggested the Russian president is a better leader than President Obama. Vladimir Putin is an aggressor that does not share our interests, Paul said in a statement. Vladimir Putin is violating the sovereignty of neighboring countries. It certainly appears that he is conducting state-sponsored cyber attacks on what appears to be our political system. However, he added, it's not my job to comment on everything Trump says. And finally, a California man struck gold, pulling a large 18-ounce gold nugget out of a local creek. Whoa. Yeah. The T-bone steak-shaped chunk of gold was pulled out of a creek near Jamestown, east of Stockton. Wow. It was worth an estimated $70,000. Oh, score. Uh-huh. It's a new score. gold and, and keeping in mind, the average size of a gold nugget is less than an ounce. You don't hear gold nuggets described no. as... T-bone. T-bone steak size gold mm. nuggets. It really does look like a T-bone steak, though. Wow. I'm starving. Yeah. Was that bone in? Bone in. Mm, <laughs> that's good. So really, if it was bone in, then it was really probably only about yeah. 10 ounces of gold and well, no, 8 ounces of bone. There's no actual bone in it. It's just a term of steaks. Bone in? Yeah. Sometimes that or else we, uh, yesterday we talked about like fake meat. Where they they shred all the meat and then press it back together with sawdust and things. Yeah, yeah. What is a T-bone steak called without the bone in it? A steak, boneless steak. It's like boneless. T-boneless. Uh huh. I love boneless steak. Mmm. Okay. So, where do you start? Do you start with? Donald Trump, they're still talking about Putin, for crying out loud. Why? Quit talking about Putin. Everybody. Stop it. Just stop it. Now Mike Pence is doubling down. He's a stronger leader. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Let's have him for president. We need a good candidate. Um, but Donald Trump... Uh, 
he he obviously is better than Putin. He hasn't said that, but is that what he's driving at? Is that what you're saying? Well, if he keeps bringing him up, then he must be better than Putin. He he's 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 pretty much right up there with deity. And nobody is going to bring jobs back like Donald Trump. I will be the greatest jobs producing president that God ever created. And I say that with my pastors in the front row. With my pastors. Shout out. Believe me. Is God up there like, okay, this guy's going to be a great job producer. <laughs> if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Yep. Putin on the Ritz. Putin on the Ritz. Putin on the Ritz uh, and Donald Trump, if he does not win the presidency, they will be going on tour doing the Putin on the Ritz <laughs> series. Holy cow. Um, Hillary, again, has, a, has another comment, if you haven't heard enough, about Trump and Putin. Even taking the astonishing step of suggesting he prefers the Russian president to our American president. That is not just unpatriotic. It's not just insulting to the office and the man who holds the office. It is scary. It is dangerous. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, she was doing so great. <coughs> I thought she was going to just make it right through that. <coughs> Apparently that fit, coughing yeah. fit in Cleveland on Labor Day lasted four minutes. Wow. Just went on. I heard a, a full unedited version of her... Uh, her, her coughing, and it just kept going and going and going. So did she just stop talking for four minutes? Well, no, she kept trying to talk. Oh. And she started introducing other, you know, <laughs> local Cleveland dignitaries that yeah. she's hacking up a lung almost literally. Mm-hmm. And, like, some green stuff was came out. People think maybe a cough drop. There's rumors she had, like, an earpiece in during the speech she gave. Yeah, and all I saw kinds that. Of stuff. Yeah. But it was a fit cough. It was a productive fit cough. Well, that's the very, spin they're trying to put on it. Yeah, make sure make sure you realize that if you're coughing, you're it's an ab workout. So oh, yeah. it's really more like a workout than it is she's sickly. She's just exercising her abs. <laughs> Did you see that the American Association of Physicians mm-hmm. or whatever it was, 71% think she needs to come more clean on her on her So they're saying something's issues. up. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of coughing. Well, but it's it's more like just be honest about what is going on. Right. If it's a cold, call it a cold. If it's is it just really allergies? Cuz why is the guy carrying the other stick? People have done some uh, very basic research on the internet in Cleveland that day, the pollen, you know, the TV stations yeah. give you the green, red or yellow. It was a green day when it came to pollen. So it was Cleveland. it probably wasn't pollen. It, it might be Trump, but she hasn't been near him enough. Yeah. Well, she said it was talking about Trump. Maybe that's it. Yeah, the very thought. You know what she probably ought to do is just lay low for a while. Take the weekend off. Yeah. I don't know. She's done that. Do you remember she didn't speak to anybody for almost all of August? But she's held a lot of press conferences recently, too. Yeah. She talked to the media again on her airplane. Mm -hmm. That airplane's made a big difference in the media. Because now she can be with the media 24-7, which we know she loves. That's what she said. Do you remember when she started her candidacy and she she pulled up at some school or something at the back door and made the entire press corps 
they all ended up building. sprinting to her. <laughs> that was funny. Come on, guys. Come on. Uh, her email scandal still continues to, uh, I guess, to the late and fester. Yeah, would be the word I would use. Fester. Fester. Uh, federal judge Fester. <laughs> I hardly know her. Uh, emails released thirty thousand emails. That's what she keeps claiming is, I've released thirty thousand emails. What more do you want? Well, what they want are the other fourteen thousand nine hundred emails that are yet to be released. Yes. And when they get those. What do you predict will happen? We'll find out about her yoga class, uh, her excited emails about her grandkids. There, and... yeah. There'll be three or four more <laughs> weird things we could talk about, none of which will probably amount to much. Great deals on prescription drugs. Yep. In her emails, eight chains included. Shout outs to her homegirls. <laughs> <laughs> her homegirls. Uh, eight email chains included top secret information. 36 included secret information. Uh, eight included confidential information, the lowest level of classification. 2,000 emails have she did since say, been classified. She did say over the weekend when they when they said the, there was like a C next to the paragraph, she was not aware that meant classified right. or what was the other, confidential, yeah, or she, she thought it was like that. ABC. Is that, a, is that what the C means? Yeah. Except Julian Assange freaked mm. out about that. Of course. Because he's, he showed that in her own writings, she has thousands of examples of her herself using the C in parentheses to talk about a confidential piece of information. Yep. So. Whoops. Uh, but the big question is, so why did the FBI not do anything? That's what others are now saying. There's the They scandal. said it didn't approach the threshold of criminal behavior. Well, it didn't. It just had to be negligent, right? Negligence with. what they said. But if you have eight chains, 36 secret information, eight top secret, 2,000 emails that have then been reclassified as There's also the element of doing it on purpose for the express purpose of sharing secrets, Uh, not just being 13 devices that have all been destroyed, none of which can be What do you do with your phone, Matt, when you switch out your phone? Don't you destroy it? I get my hammer. No, Head to the it, back, forty. But and you just pound on. You it. give it to one of your kids, right? Yeah. Which is this? Or I leave it in my drawer. It's the equivalent of destroying it by handing it to your child. <laughs> so it's the same thing. I leave it in the drawer, and then every three or four years, I go get a drawer full of phones, and then I destroy them. Right. You go out back and shoot them like everyone else. It's crazy. Anyway, I personally believe nothing will happen there, it, but it, until she's elected, and this will fester oh, yeah. for about. Four more years, three more years, and in three years, there will be some indictment or political maneuvering from Congress, and she'll be impeached like her husband, but not – you don't lose your job when you're impeached. No, it's just uh, we're going to put you on trial. Yeah. And then nothing will happen. And And nothing will happen, and then we'll move on. Then she'll win a second term. This will be her entire time in office will be mired in emails. Uh, And then who's the rap star that really wants to run for president? Vanilla Ice. Really? No, I hope not. Grandmaster Flash? No, who's the one that keeps uh, interrupting Taylor Swift on oh, stage? Oh, Kanye West. Kanye West is then will be president. No, Kanye's not going to be president. No, it is. If Donald Trump can be this close, then Kanye West is next. I did see a Kanye for president in 2020 t-shirt at Comic-Con. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I really did. But imagine Kanye and Kim Kardashian as the, uh, she'd be the first lady, wouldn't she? Yeah, 
She would love that. She'd be fantastic. She's got a lot of wonderful lines of stuff. I don't even know what she's got. But I know whatever it is, it sells. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, policing in public schools. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks to the technology such as cell phones, YouTube, Facebook, and Snapchat, the opportunities to catch police abusing their powers are at an all-time high. Videos of police brutality are all over the media. In 2015, a video surfaced showing a school resource officer, an SRO, a sworn law enforcement agent that helps provide schools to uh, you know provide security, um, you saw this officer arrest a 16-year-old girl out of her seat in her high school class. The 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 video was uh, just intense as you watched her fighting the officer. And it raises the question, what are the effects of policing in our public schools? Here to speak with us today is Dr. Jason P. Nance, the Associate Director for Education Law and Policy at the Center on Children and Families at the University of Florida 11 College of Law. He's here today to talk to us about uh, teachers, uh, resource officers, and the impact they're having. Welcome, Dr. Jason Nance. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Matt, it's good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. You bet. What an interesting topic. I remember seeing that video and thinking, wow, that got intense fast. And then all the cameras on these officers and the officers are in the school as resource officers to protect and to, I guess, provide some peace of mind for everybody. Um, and yet, they're, I guess in your studies, you're finding out they're having another impact along the way. Yes. That's right. And so I, I think before we get to the study, if you don't mind, if I, you don't mind me backing up just a little bit and describing uh, some of the things that have happened over the last decades yeah. in which we've seen a rise in the number of police officers in schools. And over the last, I would say, 30 years or so, we've seen a distinct shift um, among lawmakers, school officials, and teachers regarding how to discipline children. And some people call this, the, this trend the criminalization of, of school discipline. Um, and this has affected, you know, almost all school environments to at least some degree, I think more uh, in some environments than others. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it rose parallel to the war on drugs and sort of this getting tough on crime movement um, that were very politically popular positions back in the 80s. And why have we seen this trend? I mean, we saw there was some violent crime rates that increased from the mid-1980s to 1994. Um, especially in the among the inner city youth, um, we also saw a series of high-profile incidents of school violence, uh, such as what happened at Columbine, mm. and then more recently in Newtown and in other cities as well. That really has propelled school officials to act and law enforcement officer or law or uh, lawmakers to act. Um, and we also see that schools don't some schools don't have enough resources in order to address all of the students' acute needs, and so there's been more of a trend to push students out of the school environment um, by uh, suspending them, expelling them, by referring them to law enforcement for various things. 
we've seen that there is a reduction in students' uh, constitutional rights in schools that have also added to this trend. And then we also see this interesting movement, the high-stakes testing movement, um, under No Child Left Behind that has also uh, motivated some school officials to push low-performing students out of school in order to so their lowest test scores don't count against them. Mm. And, and after we see this, this combination over the last few decades, uh, we've seen various manifestations of this. So we've, you've heard about, Matt, I'm sure, the zero-tolerance policies that, yeah. uh, you know, that mandate predetermined consequences for committing certain acts um, that should be applied regardless of the context or surrounding circumstances. Um, we see that some states have promulgated some statutes that mandate... Uh, reporting students to uh, law enforcement for committing certain things in schools, for doing certain things in schools. And then we see, especially following these high-profile events of, of uh, school violence, we've seen that there's been more money uh, for schools to hire law enforcement officers and also different security measures in schools like metal detectors, uh, millions of dollars in, in federal money and also state money. And, and as part of that, then we see the rise of police officers in schools. And so um, we saw that in approximately in the late 1970s, there were fewer than 100 probably police officers in schools. But in 1997, that rose to 12,000. And then in 2003, it rose to 19,000. That was, you know, following the heels of Columbine. Uh, in 2007, there's there was approximately 19,000, but then the National Center of Education Statistics estimates that there could be as many as 30,000. Now, um, that's in the 2013-2014 school year, and that's following, of course, Newtown. Wow, 30,000. Yeah, that's an estimate, and we don't really know, so we don't have any concrete data yet. But interestingly, the um, the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, they through the, what's called the Civil Rights Data Collection, they've really been trying to be more transparent regarding uh, what schools are doing. And so they've been documenting the number of suspensions and expulsions and the referrals to law enforcement lately. And in their last round of data collection, they made it optional to uh, report whether or not a school had a, a school resource officer within the building. And they found that... Um, you know, not everybody reported this information. It's going to be required in the next round of data collection. Uh, but they found that uh, 1.6 million students attend a school with an SRO, but not with a school counselor, which I found to be sort of indicative of some of these trends. Wow. And that was 1.4 times as likely to happen among um, Latino students and, one, you know, more likely to happen among African-American students. So the minorities so, aren't – they're more likely to have law enforcement than advising advisors and counselors that can help them emotionally and also, you know, figure out their career and their, their life, you know, their life goals. Well, yeah, and, and I have to be – you have to be careful how you interpret this data because it's, that's, that's not true across the board. But um, what, I, what I mean to say is that there are – there's at least 1.6 million students that attend the school with a, a school resource but not a counselor, hmm. and that's more likely if you're a Latino student, and that's uh, more likely if you're yeah. a black student. So, um, so I guess that, this, is the, this is the systemic side of this. Our legislators make rules. They – they try to improve testing scores. They decrease resources for a variety of reasons. Wars on drugs, no to- zero tolerance laws. Um, money goes to policing, but not necessarily to educating yeah. per se. So 
it creates this scenario where we have uh, SROs, uh, resource officers, on on the campus. What what's the impact of having the officers there? What what's the what does the data show you about having them there? Well, and so now we um, I'll turn to my empirical study that I conducted, and this is this was just published in the Washington University Law Review. Uh, just a few weeks ago, and it's it's titled uh, "Students, Police, and the School to Prison Pipeline," and it's there's, it's available for a free download on the Social Science Research Network, which is SSRN. And what I did is I um, I was able to get access to some restricted data from uh, the U.S. Department of Education's uh, National Center for Education Statistics. And what I mean by restricted data is that uh, you know this is not publicly available; that you have to uh, go through certain procedures to be able to get access to this data. Uh, for example, it needs to be stored on a computer that does not have access to the internet, that can't be accessed from outside. And the reason for this is that um, it contains sensitive information regarding uh, the you know criminal acts and other things that are going on within the schools. And they don't want they want to encourage anonymity uh, for you know for to increase reporting for, for uh, to increase the likelihood that uh, schools will divulge this information. And so I had this restricted access database, and I, and I looked at data from the, what's called the School Survey on Crime and Safety, and this was from 2009 to 2010. Um, so this is the most recent database that's available that contains you know, sort of all the information that I want to look at. Um, there was a, a wide number of schools that participated in the study, approximately 2,650 and what I looked at is I, want, I was curious to know the effect of having regular contact with a law enforcement officer and the impact that that would have on referring students to the uh, justice system or referring students to law enforcement for committing uh, certain acts. And there were a series of offenses, right? And so you had what I call higher-level offenses, and I also have what's called lower-level offenses. And so those higher-level offenses would include things like physical attack with a weapon, you know, mm-hmm. making a threat with a weapon or possession of a firearm um, or a sharp knife. You know, I would call those, those are pretty serious things that maybe, you know, justifiably you would want to send kids to or refer kids to law enforcement. Um, at least it's, it's justified, you know, I think it's easily justifiable. And then I have a series of what I call lower level offenses, um, such as making a threat, but without a weapon. Um, an attack, which a, could be a fight without using a weapon, uh, things like vandalism and things like theft. And those are still serious incidents, and I don't want to minimize that. And I also want to make clear that it's, these are just words. Right. It's hard, you know, the, kid, the principles, you don't know how they categorize things. And so what's a threat without a weapon? With that? Well, that could be something that's quite serious, or it could just be a, hey, you better shut up or I'm going to beat you up, mm-hmm. right? So it just, it depends on how the principals are going to interpret that. But I think that one could make the argument that those would be less serious than actually having a weapon within right. school. And so what I did is, and so I looked at that relationship, and then I controlled for a lot of other factors that may explain why, um, why schools are referring children to law enforcement for committing these acts or committing this, these certain offenses. And so I controlled for things like reporting requirements. And so when, when schools are statutorily required to report certain incidents to law enforcement, so I did my best to control for that or took, take that into account. Uh, neighborhood crime. And so I theorized that if the, the, the neighborhood with, 
within where the school resided. If that had, if that had higher levels of crime, then I think that schools would be more likely to have law enforcement officers and perhaps report students for committing certain offenses. Mm-hmm. I controlled for the overall number of criminal incidents that occurred at the school. Um, I, I controlled for what I, uh, an in, a variable that I called disorder. So I looked at sort of the number of disciplinary um, actions within the school. I looked at race, you know, threats and bullying and threats made to teachers and, you know, gang activity and things like that, theorizing that, you know, that may be a reason why uh, schools are reporting students to law enforcement. I also looked at things like attendance and student enrollment, the percentage of school uh, students that had low test scores, the number of special ed kids, other student gra- student demographics like the number of of students that were African American and so on and so forth, uh, whether the school was non-traditional, meaning if it was a magnet school or a charter school, I looked at the school level, if it was elementary, middle or high school, if it was a suburban school, uh, an urban school, you know, rural school. So I controlled for all these different things, took this into account. Hmm. And after controlling for all of these things, I found that when a a school has uh, regular contact with an SRO, meaning that the school, um, that they have there at least once a week, that a school resource officer has contact with that school, that schools are much more likely to report students to law enforcement for committing these higher level offenses, but more importantly, in my view, also these lower level offenses. Mm. So I, I found that to be quite uh, significant, not necessarily surprising, um, but quite significant, especially when, as you say, Matt, that one of the reasons why um, we have school, you know, one of the reasons why uh, people want law enforcement within the schools is to protect the students, you know, to right. protect them from outside intruders. But they don't understand about these, these sometimes these unintended consequences. Well, yeah, occur. what used to be just a fight or a bunch of kids stealing someone's backpack to tease them is now going to be reported uh, to police as a theft, I guess. Yes, that's exactly right. And so, and I think that there's some, you know, there's, uh, there's some things to think about here. So, um, you know, and I also think, well, you know, of course, the, the proponents of having a, a, a law enforcement officer in school is that you're going to be, I, I hear, in fact, I even heard President Obama talking about this the other day, is that they want to build relationships of trust with the students. You know, yeah. the trust is strained right now between the police and members of the community, especially among minority uh, that seems like a great idea, right? To get them out there, getting to know the kids and the youth. But, you know, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Jason P. Nance, and then we'll come back, Jason, and have you explain now what. I mean, now even the Obama administration is, is trying to make some changes on that as well. Um, interesting stuff, folks. One little adjustment here, a little adjustment there. All of a sudden, your kid has a criminal record for being a teenager. Uh, yeah, but they're learning the lessons, right? We stop it now. They won't be murderers later. Well, we'll see. More from the experts as we understand uh, policing in public schools. We'll be right back. We are uh, speaking with Dr. Jason P. Nance, 
about uh, his school-to-prison pipeline, a, a major research project he had been working on, um, where he's trying to figure out the impact of policing and putting police officers or resource officers in the schools and the impact that has on students. It really, actually, the impact it has on sending them, or well, not sending them to jail, but increasing the likelihood of them having maybe not necessarily always positive interactions with policing as well. Dr. Nance, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you bet. Talk to us about uh, the data. So some of the data you're seeing is when they have a regular contact with an SRO, a, a resource officer in the schools, whether that's daily or weekly, when they're having a regular interaction, they're much more likely to be turned in by the school administrations for higher offenses uh, you know, guns, brandishing guns or whatever, threats like that, or even the lower type of offenses. And I guess that means more likely to be arrested, more likely to, to what? Yeah, and I, I think that's. I, I think that you could make that argument. Now, the data didn't play that out. Right. Um, what actually happened to the students after they were referred to law enforcement? But I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that um, more students are going to end up being arrested, um, and more students are going to end up being detained. Um, and Matt, I think it's worth mentioning those the negative consequences associated with uh, what happens to a student once they become involved in the justice system, and this this can be quite sobering. Um, so first of all, it's once a student if to the cost involved of detaining a student for one year is is enormous. Mm. So it costs around $150,000 per year average. That's nationally, but it can raise, it can cost as high as $350,000 a year, for example, in the state of New York. And wow. that's, that's significant, especially when you think about what right now, um, the money that we are using to, uh, to, or money that we're spending on educating children, which is around, you know, 10 to $12,000 a year, right. right? To educate them in a school versus $150,000 a year to detain them. And once that they're detained, we're seeing that it affects all types of, uh, it has various consequences within their lives. So, for example, it's going to affect their future housing opportunities, employment opportunities, military education opportunities. We're seeing that once students are involved in the justice system, that they have mental health issues that reinforces uh, violent behavior because they're surrounded by right. people that, you know, not, that are not the best influences. Um, they're less likely to graduate from high school, and it incre- and this is most important, I think, is that it doesn't do a very good job of deterring them from future criminal activity. So we're finding that um, there's many studies that show um, that once a student or once a child is involved within the juvenile justice system, they're much more likely to be involved in the criminal justice system later on. Mm. So that's, that's tough. The other part of this is that let's say that you just arrest a student, but you actually don't convict them, so they're not going to be detained. And does that have a negative consequence on the students? And we're finding that it does, that if a student is arrested, that they experience, um, you know, they can experience emotional trauma, uh, embarrassment, stigma. Uh, It affects their academic achievement, and it significantly decreases their, uh, the probability of them graduating from high school um, which, it, yeah, so, we pay for later. Which, exactly, right. we pay for later. So if they don't graduate from high school, the chance of them being involved in the justice system increased significantly. Well, and before, when I was growing up, I guess this would just go to 
our principal's office where they had yeah. four intense men, <laughs> it seemed like, um, back in my day, that just would scare the bejeebies out of everybody. <laughs> and, right. um, and 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 I, I mean, and then I guess in the worst case scenarios, they I mean, we we had in my school a kidnapping once that made national news and FBI were involved. So then the authorities would be involved where they need to be involved. What would you say, Jason, to these parents that are like, well, yeah, but then good. They should go to jail if they're going to steal my boy's iPod. I think that we need to – there's no question that we need to hold students accountable for what they do. Um, And as you say, that there are are different ways in which we can hold students accountable. There's – but – when I think that we need to question, seriously question, when we pull out the, you know, sort of the most extreme measures right away. And so, as you say, if we have a kid that steals another child's iPod, um, which would be, you know, that's, that's a criminal okay, offense, right. right? Theft. But is this the best option? Because if we arrest them, if we detain them, if we involve them in the juvenile justice system, we're seeing that that, effective, that is essentially is ruining their life, first of all. So it's going to affect their life. It's going to affect the life of their family. And it's also we're going to have to pay for it on the back end yeah. as, we, as they are increasingly become more involved in the just, justice system. So we have to think, is there a better way? Yeah. You know? And that's not to say that we should never refer students to law enforcement. That's not to say that we should never have a police officer in schools. There may be uh, some schools that, where the environment justifies that type of response. But I worry that we're relying too much on these overly punitive measures when we're seeing all these unintended negative consequences. And the research shows that there are better ways to promote safer schools. Well, it's like we're escalating it to the highest level as quickly as we can. It's the little boy that breaks a window, the neighbor's window, and the neighbor calls the cops and the cops, you know, ticket him. And yeah, all of a sudden, right. it, when it should have just been mom, dad, and the neighbor and the boy teaching a really important lesson. I, I agree with you, Matt, on that. And we can, there's been some incidents. Um, so I think in, I want to say in 2005, uh, we've seen some very extreme incidents where, where police officers have been involved. So, for example, during a, a, a jelly bean counting exercise, we had a very young, I want to say a kindergarten or a very young student who threw a tantrum after the, after the teacher put the jelly beans away. Why? Because she liked the jelly beans and she wanted to keep uh, you know, participating in this exercise. So she threw a tantrum, which was wrong. I mean, we've got right. to find a way to hold that student accountable, uh, accountable. But what happened was is that that uh, teacher then referred them to the, the uh, school administrator, and the school administrator decided to call the police. And mm. so the police came in. And this young kindergarten student was actually arrested. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think she was convicted, right. but she was actually arrested. And think about, so if you have a five or six-year-old student that is having a negative experience with a police officer that early on, you know, how is she going to view school? How is she going to view law enforcement? That's going to, I think, affect her for the rest of her oh. life. How is the family going to view that right. experience? What is, do you see it reducing violence in schools? Is it even having an impact on violence? Were you able to measure that? I wasn't able to measure that, but there's been a lot of people that have tried to measure that, and so far the results have been very unclear. And so we have seen uh, we have seen cr- uh, crime rates drop uh, quite. I don't want to say dramatically, but we've seen a pretty steady drop over the past few decades. 
And I think that the law enforcement agencies will point to the fact that we've got school resource officers in schools now, and they, they seem to be that. That's, they're saying that, they're suggesting that's the cause of that. Um, but it isn't clear exactly why it's decreasing overall in our society, and it's not clear why it's decreasing in schools. Um, and so we real, the studies have been very mixed on that regarding the actual effect that they have on, on criminal activity within schools. Hmm. So Do we don't have... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, do you end up, um, I mean, we don't have that data. And I have family that are school teachers, educators, and they're overwhelmed. And I, I could see them saying, yeah. look, I'm not here. My job's not to discipline them that way. My job's, so it's almost like it, everyone's trying to cover their 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 stewardship, their ownership. Legislators create legislation. Principals are trying to manage their budgets. Police tend to have more money on this situation. Mm -hmm. So in the end, um, what do I do as a parent if this is going on? And and how do I how do I help? Well, so as a parent, what can you do? I think there's a there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, so what 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 can what can schools do first of all to create safer environments, and then how can parents contribute right. to that? Um, so there are a lot of evidence. We we know that there's a lot of things that are working very well in schools that can create uh, positive environments. And so, following Columbine, uh, the U.S. Department of Education and the Secret Service conducted a three-year-long three-year study to assess what exactly constitutes a safe environment, how these safe environments created. And it, was, it wasn't about the police officers, and it wasn't about the metal detectors, it wasn't about these other, you know, punitive measures. Rather, what they found is that it is the um, positive relationships that are created within the school community. That's what best defines a safe school community. When you have positive relationships among the teachers and the students, positive relations among the students themselves, and then positive relationships among the teachers and the parents, right? Right. And so that's part of it, is creating more of a community environment where uh, people like one another, they feel safe with one another, and they don't want to disrupt that environment. And so, and we've seen, even in very dangerous environments, we've seen where that, that can be created. What else happens? And so as you create a positive environment, um, then that also attracts good teachers, that also attracts good families, that also attracts good students to come, which just continues to enhance uh, the school environment. So, and, you know, but that's that kind of theoretical, how do you do that? Well, there's some actual concrete measures that have been tested that have been quite good at creating these positive school cultures. Hmm. One is, and I, I can't overstate this enough, and Matt, I don't know if I told you or not, but I, I used to be a teacher. So oh, before yeah, I, I, did, I knew you were an educator, right. Yeah, and I, I taught in a pretty, um, it was a, you know, it was a challenging environment. It was in an inner city school district in, in Houston, Texas. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was touch, uh, tough. And what I found is that to create a really safe environment is teachers can do a lot just by their teaching methods. And so if you are engaging students and if you're creating a reason for them to come, and so you're motivating them to learn and to understand the purpose of why they're there, then a lot of the behavioral problems, a lot of the safety problems are just going to dissipate right. right off. Now, it's not going to affect every student. But I think that we can do a much better job of of help of giving our teachers the resources, the training to learn how to manage yeah. uh, large classes or learn, learn how to manage students and also learn how to teach more effectively. So I would say that's one great investment right. to make. Another investment to make is uh, to look at these other methods that have worked well, one of which is restorative justice. 
and the other of which is called uh, school-wide positive behavioral interventions and supports. And so what restorative justice does is that this is a sort of a dispute resolution tool to learn how to reconcile uh, the offender and the victim. Okay, so the traditional punitive model is student breaks rule, you know, you punish the student, right? right? The restorative justice model focuses on repairing the harm, developing community, and also helping people to become accountable. So it's, think of it, this is like a, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it, but one of which is to have a circle group. And so we have the offenders and the victims come together with other members of the school community, and they talk together, and they confront the offender, and the victim has a chance to explain why, how, how he or she was hurt directly by the offender. I love that. Yeah. And, and a lot of times the offender is just amazed. Well, and is it a peer-to-peer he, thing? It's, it can, it's peer-to-peer, but it's also managed by some, yeah. a trained individual who can do this constructively to have this conversation yeah. and also have other people involved, so the parents and other members of the school community. And then after you, know, you listen to these people, then they devise remedies to restore, the vic- or to restore the offender back into the school community so he becomes a full-fledged member again. Love it. I mean, and honestly, that's the uh, that's the idea. That's oh, I love the idea that we put it back in the hands of the people and educate along the way. Dr. Jason Pinance, thank you so much for your great insight, your tools, your information, and your work there at uh, the uh, University of Florida, the Center on Children and Families at the University of Florida. Folks, we got to get our lives together. We got to get them back. And understand that we make one law here, you still impact people everywhere else. It's a system. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Hey, when I would uh, go to school, I went to a private school because my mom told me I was special. And she said uh, it was a great school that, you know, they they were very serious about teaching manners and uh, just being a good person. But if you did something wrong, you'd get a demerit. If you did a lot of things wrong, you could get five demerits. And every that is standard for everyone in the school. And if you got too many demerits, you could go to the principal's office. And when you went to the principal's office, you could get the meter stick. The principal, if he needed to, on his judgment, would decide if he swats you with a meter stick or like a yardstick. And I will never forget standing in the hall talking when I shouldn't have been with a bunch of friends. And uh, the principal walked down the hall. And because he only had two hands, he grabbed my two friends and yanked them off to the principal's office. And I just cowered and went in the room. Corporal punishment, uh, don't like it. Not a, not a great thing. But the difference is today I think we are so afraid of, um, of being there. The educators back in the day understood their job was to educate in all things. And uh, it seems like now we're kind of – we're breaking everything into its little boxes, right? If you need a Band-Aid, you go to the nurse. If you need discipline, we call the cops. But maybe the reality is, is we need to do something else where we all learn to talk and connect, uh, you know, through maybe community groups or even just a peer court at school. There's got to be better ways than just immediately calling the cops on everything. Instead, let's talk. We'll be back. Stick with us. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the information, the tools, the life skills you need to make it through this crazy thing called life. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday, getting you ready for the weekend. Today we will be talking about uh, college graduation and jobs. Where are the college grads getting their jobs? Do they just stay in your city? So as a parent, listen up. If you have a teen or a child uh, finishing college, you're going to want to listen to this. The latest research on where kids are finding the jobs today. It might be you need to move. Bigger cities. You're going to have to go to the big city. That's you can't much. just be in the tiny, itty-bitty cities anymore. There's not as many jobs there. But uh, doesn't mean doesn't mean they won't visit. Oh, they'll come back. <laughs> Somebody's got to feed him. So we will get into that uh, discussion with Michael Betts. Also, later we'll be talking about uh, with Leanna Tan. She'll give us some of her computer tips, which I didn't She's, know she had computer tips. She has a lot of issues with computers. Mm-hmm. She once asked me, um, it was when she first started working here. Right. We're in a meeting, and her internet connection wasn't working. And she says, uh, do you know how to fix my phone and i go well are you connected to the wi-fi and she goes what's that <laughs> i go, well, excuse me wifi what's wifi oh you mean the wifi i go you're a college student you have no concept of wi-fi <laughs> it's like a basic survival technique right so so she's had to learn and figured out really what she figured out is some tricks she did a uh, a, a little commentary a few weeks ago on pokemon go yeah i had to explain to her what that was yeah, she's 22 and has no idea. Well, but you are the you are the regional expert. Well, apparently, but uh, yeah, that was a eye opening day. I'm like, Sir, you don't know what that is? Come on, it's like a social. I thought no, all, so everyone really over a certain is, age had that. She's giving us computer tips for the for the rookie. Yes, or her. Yeah, yeah. It's it'll it'll be great. We'll get to that as well. Plus headlines that you just won't believe. How about if you fell asleep in a dumpster mm. and then the garbage truck comes and picks up the dumpster? Do you know what to do? hate when that happens. Do you remember that happened last week? Um, more survival tips. More survival tips helping you lead <laughs> and live healthier lives. We'll get to all of that. And, uh, of course, we will continue celebrating Weirdos Day, which yeah. is a day for all to celebrate. Because mm. everyone, <laughs> everyone knows a weirdo. Yeah. And it's Hug Your Boss Day. Yeah. Unless they're out of town. Then I like warm hugs. Yeah, boss just takes the day off on. To all the producers on the show, I would just suggest you hug Terry. No. Terry needs a hug. Need personal space. Thanks. But first. Hands, feet, and other objects to yourself. Thanks. <laughs> At all times. <laughs> first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on? An employee at the Munson Army Health Center at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas has been charged with pouring gasoline on his female supervisor and setting her on fire. Police say 54-year-old Clifford Curry was assaulted, also assaulted the victim with a straight-edge razor before another employee intervened and stopped the Wednesday attack. The The victim was rushed to the hospital along with another employee who was also involved in the attack. 
NASA on Thursday evening launched a space probe to chase down a dark, potentially dangerous asteroid called Bennu. The probe will take a sample of the asteroid and, in a U.S. space first, bring the sample back to Earth. Mission managers said the launch was flawless, the spacecraft is in excellent health, and the mission is hitting all its early milestones. The election is still 61 days away, but Donald Trump may have already lost in Colorado, New Hampshire, and Virginia. Political reported Thursday that the Republican presidential nominee is so far behind Hillary Clinton in those three battleground states that they're close to unwinnable for Trump. In Colorado, Trump trails Clinton by nine points on average. In New Hampshire, he's an average of seven points behind. And in Virginia, Trump trails behind in an average of 11 points. And finally... Several lanes on a highway in Delaware were closed after a truck carrying pennies overturned and spilled its contents on the road. Ooh, it makes no sense. No, it does make sense. Oh, listen, sorry. listen. <laughs> Delaware State Police told CBS Philadelphia the tractor trailer overturned on I-95 and spilled thousands of blank pennies onto a highway. The truck was headed to the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia around 2 a.m. Thursday before it crashed into a barrier, overturned, and caught fire. Blank and pennies. That's the most interesting thing that's ever happened in Delaware. That's what I thought. Well, you know what I was thinking of? You know those penny smasher machines? Yes. You know, all those people who got to run over those pennies, you know, got to make their own little penny smashers. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, right? That's totally brilliant. Hmm. Wow. Sadie thinks, and that does make sense, doesn't it? A few. About a million. Or more. Well, they're not cents yet because they haven't been imprinted. They're blank discs of half copper. That's just your two cents. Wow. Okay. Was she was she editing? Was she like self censoring by saying thousands of blank pennies? She didn't say blankety blank. She said blank is in. They're not in. You know they don't have the print have of impressed. the Lincoln on them or anything. Okay, good. Yeah. So yeah, she thought, wasn't trying to swear. She was like trying to edit, self censor. We don't believe in censorship. Hey, um, what a, what do you do when you? Okay, you're homeless. You have mm. nowhere to sleep. You find a, you find a dumpster. Maybe has some, you know, some boxes that have been nicely folded up for you. You climb right. in there, you go to bed. Hmm. Then, the about what three in the morning, you get a, you hear a beep, beep, beep. Oh boy! Oh, there we go. Next thing you know, the truck picks you up. What are you supposed to do? What do you do? Because you can scream, but they can't hear you. No. So this happened to a guy in Albany. The police department said Ivan Rosalio Mendez Perez, Perez, uh, 23, suffered a fractured leg because the compactor, the trash uh, truck, dumped the load uh, from the dumpster into the truck and then started to compact. And it was, I think it did it two or three times. And in the compacting, it broke his leg. Can you imagine how traumatic? But he survived. Smart guy. You know how he survived? What did he do? He threw garbage out of the compactor hmm. and was tossing cardboard out in front of the truck, which signaled to the driver, hey, there's something something's wrong. weird up there. What hmm. if he was just a compulsive litter bug, though? Well, he would have been dead. Or if the guy thought he was just a compulsive litter bug. He got out to look, the driver did, and heard Mr. Perez yelling... So, dumpster diving dangerous. Yes. If you get caught, start throwing junk out. But make sure you throw it to the front of the truck or no one's going to notice. Then the police showed up and he received a citation. A citation for littering. (laughs) Can you believe that? 
for littering. Didn't we hear a story yesterday about a child getting a ticket for littering at two years old? I did hear about that, yes. We didn't talk about it. We no. wanted to. So you want to talk about it? No. They took the <laughs> ticket away. Oh, did they? Yeah, they're but not actually But after they fine. cuffed him and tased him and well, threw yeah. him in the back of a car. And then people pointed out the, how ridiculous that is, and they went, all right, fine. They took it away when the media was at their front door about to film them. What a Yeah, when it got when it got embarrassing, then jerks. they rescinded the ticket. So everything's great now. Thank He's you, media. He's a two-year-old. Yeah. But the story really was about he his name was on a mailer. Is that right? And the mailer was on the ground somewhere. So then they came and found him. Isn't that how that worked? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So he really didn't litter. It's not like he threw his Gogurt cut or his Gogurt sleeve or whatever you call those. Be a tube. Tube. A tube of he Gogurt. He didn't throw his Gogurt tube on the ground. He just threw his mailer on the ground. Anyway, crazy story there. And uh, another reason why you need to listen to your neighbors and the police need to listen to the neighbors more. Police in Italy have been uh, left embarrassed after thieves robbed a bank despite warnings from local residents that they could hear people tunneling underneath their buildings. Hmm. Right? Like, I, I swear I hear somebody digging. Right. And they were digging hmm. under a tunnel, by the way, underneath a building to a bank in Milan. And they told the police, and the police did nothing about it. But once inside, these guys then waited for the first uh, employees to arrive and forced them to open the safe. And they got away with a ton of money. We began hearing noises, the neighbor said, on Sunday evening, and we were all just joking around saying to each other, are they robbing the bank? Yeah, they were. Uh, yes. One unnamed resident was quoted as saying in the media, on Monday, we, one of us went to the bank to warn them about the tremors we had felt. Others went to the nearest police station on Tuesday because the sounds had not stopped. On Thursday, the night before the robbery, the pavement, pavement outside was shaking. Nobody was hmm. listening. Right. So they well, deserve it, I guess. There's earthquakes. Oklahoma, they have a lot of earthquakes. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything going on. It's just, you know, nature. Yeah. And wastewater from fracking, probably. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So you side with the criminals, then? Yes. No, I side with the residents that no one would listen to. What, you think we're crazy? I hear sounds. What do you think that is? Then the bank's robbed. Which is really interesting because in Italy, apparently, they'll dig a trench to rob a bank. And later in the show, we'll do a story about in America, people <laughs> rob a, you know, a store and then they fall asleep in the parking lot. Lazy Americans. You're tired. <laughs> you didn't even dig a trench. You can't get that right. Anyway, we'll get to that. Any other headlines we need to worry about, Terry? Yes. Uh, Mr. Trump went to Mexico last week. He did? And uh, now it's come out who's actually responsible for setting up that meeting oh. between the president of Mexico and Mr. Trump. Who was it? The finance minister, Luis uh, Vidigueri, resigned Wednesday after a backlash from the invitation to Trump to meet with the president of Mexico. So the finance minister of Mexico really? set up the meeting. Kind of what? backfired, didn't really get a lot of good press, and now he's resigned over this. Oh, wow. 
Uh, Mexican Senator Armando Rios Peter is proposing legislation that could put Mexico in conflict with the U.S., by the way. Okay. It says uh, Trump has threatened to cancel the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. Yeah. Claiming it was bad policy that hurt the U.S. manufacturing industry. If Trump were to do this, however, the, uh, the what's this guy? He's a, uh, a Mexican senator. Says it would uh, it would trigger his the bill he's put forth. The senator, uh, if NAFTA's canceled, it would trigger a review process and possible cancellation of all bilateral agreements between Mexico and the U.S. Oh, wow. So going further, he's proposing it would specifically cancel the 1848 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which ended the Mexican-American War and (laughs) ceded Texas and California, as well as parts of Arizona, Colorado, Mexico, Nevada, Utah, and Wyoming to the United States if Trump cancels NAFTA. Holy cow. So if Trump cancels NAFTA, then pretty much the entire West goes back to Mexico. Well, no, the treaty gets canceled. Yeah, but then then Texas, California, we have more tanks. That's if we don't want to go. We might if Trump is president oh, I guess and cancels right. NAFTA, we everyone may want to go. So maybe we get to have our own Brexit type referendum, and we get to leave, leave call if it we Texit. want. We'll call it Texit. The Texit. Why does Texas get to name everything? Because Texas is big. Everything so, in Texas is big. That's a it's a it's a story non story. Because that's just, you know, posturing. Well, it seemed like a good one to me. But it seems um, interesting. Also, yeah. the plant that creates the wonderful peeps oh, that yeah. we eat at Easter, the uh-huh. little birds, they're currently on strike. Oh, wow. Just born. They're in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. They're on strike over, you know, union insurance and So we won't be able to have stuff. peeps for Easter. <laughs> oh, we're okay. We have several months for them to figure this out. But they also make Mike and Ike's and hot tamales. So they could be in jeopardy if you are, you know, if you like those. I think I heard it's going to be a silent strike. So you're not going to hear a peep out of them. Not a peep. They do have like Halloween peeps and holiday themed peeps. So they they could be in jeopardy too if the strike goes on longer than uh, expected. Yeah. Wow. Bad news after bad news. We have great news on the show. Yesterday we uh, talked about... Um, meat and the fact that the the fake meat, the cultured meat industry, you know the the pinkish meat that they make and they give to uh, you know restaurant chains to to help enhance some of their meals. They they're trying to go more mainstream, and uh, we we helped create some really cool names for some meat, and because of this whole thing. This chemical company came to us, and they they now want to advertise on the show. So uh, be listening for the advertisements from the meat company. It's uh, pink in a pocket. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Start talking about college grads. Mm. Mm. Enjoying that burger, son? That's pretty good, I guess. Hey, how did you get into my house? The back door was open. Mmm, that's lean, finely textured beef you've got there. Also known by its adorable nickname, Pink Slime. It's the low-fat killer, I mean filler, that's used to beef up many processed beefs. How's it made? Good question, Billy. Jimmy. Connective tissue, trimmings, and scraps from industrial butcher plants are carefully mixed in a large steel reactor. Then, after a few unimportant and frankly boring steps, yummy and lean pink goo emerges. 
Ammonium hydroxide is then generously injected into the mass of quote-unquote meat, effectively sterilizing against microbes such as E. coli and salmonella. You don't want E. coli, do you? Do you? Uh, of course not. Well, now that you know what LFTB is, you'll want to buy our delicious products. Casicarne, a subsidiary of Cone Ammonium Hydroxide Associates, is making their delicious meats available to the general public. Having a barbecue? Throw on some mouth-watering beaker bobs and frankenfurters. Going on a picnic with the family? Don't forget to pack some scrumptious balabnia sandwiches. Running late for work? Don't worry. Just pop a breakfast pink pocket into the toaster. It's ready in seconds. And be sure to try our other products, which are quickly becoming bestsellers, like Flask Jerky, Slabalab, and for a taste of Grandma's home cooking, Flem Meatloaf. Hello, police. There's a strange man in my kitchen. Whoops, gotta go. Gussie Carne. We chemically treat our meats because we care. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, it's one thing to get a college degree. We hear about what an impact that has uh, on your ability to earn money, your just your sense of well-being and the real-life well-being that can take place because of your education. Except then you got to get a job, right? So it's one thing to have the degree. It's another thing to get the job. We wanted to talk today about where these jobs are coming from. Uh, where do you need to live to get a good job if you're just leaving college? And you got to do you have to be willing to travel? Do you have to be willing to move in order to make it happen? Uh, college graduates, they're going to be walking away with some student debt, usually more debt, probably than uh, than even their parents had going into that. So we've asked Michael Betts to join us. He's an assistant professor of human development and family science at The Ohio State University. He's here with us this morning to talk a little bit about uh, where today's college grads are going to find their jobs and how we can help them be more successful. Uh, Dr. Betts, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you. Talk to us about what you're learning in all of your work and research. Why why is it so important? I mean, it seemed like there's going to be jobs in most of the country, isn't there? Or is that just an illusion today? Yeah, there's uh, it's it's definitely changing. That's for sure. There's been a lot of industry restructuring. Uh, different industries are growing. Um, other industries are declining. The manufacturing sector, for example, there's more uh, retail and uh, more local service jobs that are becoming more and more available. Um, and what we see a little bit is a little bit of a, a split in the labor market where you have kind of these uh, two groups of people where you have really highly educated, college-educated workers um, whose unemployment rates are really low and there's lots of well-paying jobs. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's those who maybe only have a, college, or a high school degree and their job prospects are, are much more limited to uh, service sector jobs that might not be as well-paying. And um, But the 
I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that, that has changed is uh, the the availability of jobs within a uh, local region. So, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you might have had to move uh, to get a job that suits your skills. Right. You would go to wherever the, the jobs were. Um and because the the labor market has changed towards more service oriented jobs, uh, those jobs are located all across the country. And so, what we see is that actually internal migration rates of people moving within the United States is declining pretty pretty dramatically. Hmm. And the lowest levels of internal migration uh, in over fifty years in the United States right now. And your research talked about the 90s, which is when I graduated. Mm -hmm. So back then, if I I graduated with a degree in journalism, if I wanted to be a journalist, I pretty much had to move out of my state and go Mm -hmm. where the job was. And you're saying today there's less of that going on? Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe your and I's professions aren't the the best examples. Um, Being a professor, it's still the case. Where, yeah, you're still going to move. Yeah, you're still going to move. So this isn't across the board, but in general, um, the jobs that people are getting now, uh, they're located in, in lots of different areas because they're more service-based. Hmm. And service-based as opposed to uh, something that's like tradable, where you're manufacturing something and exporting it somewhere else. You would have to go to wherever that industry was located. And lots of industries usually have hubs or clusters. Um, and so, you know, if you were in the, the automotive industry, you're moving to Detroit. Right. Um, well, today's jobs are more service-based. And so um, their customers are local. And they might be local, they might be global. But right. The, basically, they can provide that service. Yeah, you could be a regional rep. Well, and rep something in your area for a company from Ohio or Detroit or, you know, the automotive, you know, belt. Yeah, absolutely. And even things like IT jobs where, where you know, now you can remotely access uh, what's going on somewhere halfway across the world. And uh, so these these service jobs, you, you don't have to move for them. And so there's a, there's a lot more of them. And so that's, that's part of what's going on with the, in, the decline in internal migration. Um, but this is something that economists have just recently started to look at. Um, and so there are kind of more questions than answers right now. Well, so wouldn't that mean that a lot of these students, these grads would stay maybe in smaller communities, smaller towns, but but they are, they also I guess may not be are they as drawn to stay there or do they want mm-hmm. to get to the big cities where there's you know the arts and all of these other things that college grads may want? Yeah, so there's another trend that's going on uh, with the decline in in migration and the increase in service jobs is um, that the labor market is not nearly as robust as it was in the 90s where we basically had full employment and really high wages. Um, in the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s, we had two recessions, one of which was the, the Great Recession, the, one of the largest economic shocks in the last century. And um, so there's a lot more volatility in labor markets. And what we found was that where in the 90s college grads might be going to places with other college grads, 
that were fast-growing or had fast-growing industries, um, they're going to places with that are bigger cities with higher populations. And that matters for a couple of reasons. So you think about bigger cities, they, they offer different things for workers, but one of the main things you're looking at if, if you're looking for a job, and that's the most important thing uh, to you as a new college graduate, is that you're going to have a lot more opportunities in a bigger city to match your skills with an employer who's looking for your skills. Yeah. So, you know, if you're you know, on the furthest end, New York City, uh, there's lots of people that are looking for highly specialized people with a highly specialized skill set. Um, you know, you take that same skill set and move to somewhere in North Dakota, uh, there might not be any jobs for you there. Hmm. So, um, that that's kind of the the primary finding uh, in in this research study was that you know we we don't have evidence to say that it is it is from the labor markets um, in the, the 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 volatility in labor markets, but what we find is that college graduates are moving to places that have higher populations, so bigger cities. Um, because these cities might provide a little bit more of a buffer for people in uncertain economic times. Yeah, these recessions, I guess it's it's really it's fascinating because we've we've created systems and the markets have changed in a way that internal migration isn't as necessary. You don't need to you don't mm-hmm. need to leave, but then the economy hits, and for the young or the new college grad. Um, if they want to have the highest likelihood of finding work that's and, and a culture and an environment they like, they might feel compelled to go to the big city. Yeah, that's right. And there there have been some studies that have looked at kind of the other side of the coin where so we we looked at places and we were interested in the question of, okay, what places are attracting college graduates? But you can kind of look at the same question, a very similar question, it's kind of the two sides of the same coin is looking at, okay, where, uh, what are college graduates moving for? So you're looking at the individual level, the individual college graduates and saying, okay, what traits uh, are they looking for in a place? And there's been some research that has found that that jobs are still the most important things for college graduates. Mm. So uh, other considerations like what, types of amenities that city offers, you know, what's going on there, the, the cultural scene, um, distance to uh, recreation, things like oceans and mountains and things like that. Those are important, but uh, jobs still kind of trump everything else when yeah. it comes to what college graduates are looking for. Well, and it, it's interesting for parents, isn't it? Because as a parent, if, if so, I was from the 90s, and my view of how you get a job and keep a job seems so different from my children. Yeah. But I might apply pressure on them, like, well, you better stay near us or whatever, and I want to raise my grandkids. Um, yeah. that That's going to create—so I guess part of this is understanding the impact— on your children, if they live in a, you know, a Midwestern inner, I mean, a tiny city in the Midwest or a tiny town or community in the Midwest, they may not be able or may not want to stick around. Yeah, you know, that's right. So you have, it kind of works both ways. Um, So we, we are, we do live in an increasingly urbanized world. So more and more people are living near cities, maybe not in central cities, but 
uh, you know, suburbs and metro areas. And so, you know, those are functional labor markets. And if you're within those metro areas, then, um, you know, because more and more people are living in those metro areas, we and the fact that the labor market is more service-based, we people might be in a better situation because, okay, they're already in a metro area and uh, they can find a job in their area of expertise that this might actually be really beneficial um, because there's a lot of kind of non-economic things like uh, child care, for example, from your parents or just having those relationships to be able to maintain those family relationships. Um, those those are really big factors in why people move and deciding whether or not uh, they're going to move. But, I mean, you make a great point. A generation ago, that wasn't the case. No. Where, um, you know, we not, not that people didn't value those things, but the, the labor market was different where you did have to move. And because jobs were still the, the biggest thing in people's minds, they would make that sacrifice. Yeah. And, um, now, you know, so because we have an increasingly urbanized population and people are living more and more in metro areas, uh, that they can get jobs where they live and still keep those family connections. And yeah. I can tell you, you know, from just anecdotally, my, my wife and I, both of our families live in the town that we live in. Um, and just the, the benefit of having them around oh, yeah. out there and things like that, it's, 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 it's huge. incredible. I agree, Michael. And um, let's, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about that. But parents, be understanding it's not the world you lived in. And if you notice that your kids can't get a job after college, it might simply be it's time to move. They might need to go look somewhere else um, if it's not happening where they are. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Michael Betts when we come back. You know, college graduates of the new millennium, they're living at a different time, folks, than we did uh, maybe when we were back getting a job. So because of that, they have different options for working. Um, they may not need to leave because they could possibly find a job in their area, or they may want to go uh, where the jobs are in some of the metro areas or bigger cities. Joining us is Dr. Michael Betts. He is a, a professor, assistant professor in the Department of Human Sciences at uh, Ohio State University, and his expertise is in regional and rural urban economics. He's here today to talk about some of the drivers um, that, that are pushing our, our grads, our, our uh, college grads, um, to, to choose the jobs and the locations where, where they're moving. We appreciate you being back with us. Thank you, Dr. Betts. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. What's uh, So as a parent, I mean, I do. I need to make sure that I understand my economy isn't their economy. My options yeah. weren't their options. What else can I do to make sure that, uh, that I, I'm, I guess I'm helping, I'm aiding, I'm, I'm educating my child into the best way to go find a job once they graduate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the things is when we think
think about these questions as economists. We kind of model them, and um, you know, one of the things we say is that people vote with their feet, and uh, you know, we look at the person, the individual, and, and they have to make that decision: Am I going to move, or am I not going to move? And, they have to factor everything into the, that equation. So thinking about, you know, stuff like uh, jobs, which are obviously highly important, um, but thinking about things that maybe don't necessarily have um, a specific monetary value, like having family nearby um, or having long-term friendships and relationships, those are all things that factor into that um, equation. And so just kind of sitting down and, and thinking about those things and deciding, okay, do I, where I live right now, uh, is that going to be the best place for me? Or, you know, is this city down the road here uh, going to offer something different? And that's a, that's a little bit of a tricky uh, equation. Um, one of the, the good things that has happened over the last 20 years is just the availability of information. Um, and that is is probably a driving force in the internal migration discussion there where, you know, if you're considering a move 40 years ago, you would have to drive there, hang out for maybe a weekend, and then make a decision based on that information. Right. Um, now, you know, you can just hop online and you can find out, uh, employment rate and uh, average wages of people in your industry there, how much rent is. Uh, those are all considerations. Uh, it's so true. It's such a different age. And it it also, the, the way you can communicate, uh, you know, with your family, if you do live out of state, is completely different. FaceTiming, Skyping, um, it's, it's a different world, except, too, I guess, there's still the same push of economic stability and, you know, you you want a career. You want something, especially somebody that has been studying in a specific area or a targeted area. Would right. you would you say that uh, is this – I guess the, the, the technology advancements, are, it's helping smaller economies, right? These smaller towns now, you, you can work at a call center and work from your home from a small town, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that has definitely uh, helped s- smaller towns and some smaller areas survive that wouldn't have been able to without those advancements in technology. One of the key things, though, um, and this is not going to be a surprise to any of your listeners, that uh, you know over the last seventy years, in general, the the main driver of migration, just in general, not only college graduates, has been weather. And so moving to nice places, moving to the Sun Belt. So people are moving west and they're moving um, to uh, these warmer climates. And yeah, there is there is some availability where you can find jobs uh, in smaller towns. But, you know, the reality is, is, you know, that is one of the things that has to go into you, your decision when you're thinking about these things is in these smaller towns. Um, it's just the nature of a smaller town. Right. There's not going to be as many labor market opportunities. So if you lose your job and you have to look for another job or if something else happens, um, you might there's, there's a little bit of higher risk there than living in a city where 
you lose your job in a city, there's there's probably a few other opportunities out there for you immediately. We, so it's just a part of the equation that you have to take into consideration, and different people uh, are more comfortable risk, with risk, and right. so different people make different decisions. We see that, um, you know, there's there's some other discussion about maybe having better tech options for tech, you know, for, for more technical uh, trainings versus universities and getting college degrees. Is mm-hmm. is it the same? Do you, is the data showing the same uh, mobility for people that have technical skills? Uh, maybe you know how to fix engines on an airplane. Or is that one that you're still going to have to pretty much move to where you're specialized and where the specialties exist? Yeah, so... Um you know, off the top of my head, that's not something that I've done a lot of research on and just that specifically that middle group. But what I can say is that education levels, any additional education is, is going to be really beneficial for anyone out there looking for a job. The unemployment rates and the wage differentials of just getting an associate's degree or having some college are, are really large and, and substantial. So... Um, you know, like I kind of talked about at the beginning of the, the the segment here, that there's kind of a split of the labor market where it's increasingly concentrated into really well high-paying jobs and um, low-paying jobs for people that only might have a high school degree. Um, and that that split is just going to continue. But there is, a, there is a place, you know, even for just getting an associate's degree or some education beyond uh, high school really makes a big difference in lifetime earnings and uh, unemployment rates and things like that. Mm. So those types of things are, are valuable. You don't have to, if, if you feel like college isn't the, the right thing for you, uh, it is still really important to get some kind of training to increase your skills beyond high school degree with yeah. just a high school degree. There's there's not a lot of good jobs out there. Yeah, it's going to elevate anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I guess uh, when you think about it, as as a college student, um, I see a lot of them here at Brigham Young University, mm-hmm. and in the end, so many of them seem a little disparaged, hopeless because they're they're not even sure they can get a job in their field, and they worry yeah. that. So is it more about choosing a field that's more marketable? Is it more about just being adaptable? How do you how do you make sure the college degree brings you some revenue? Yeah, right. I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, personal experience, my younger sister has a degree in nutrition and she's working uh, in finance right now. So <laughs> I think it is a little bit more of the latter is that uh, what you said of being a little bit more flexible. Uh, and one of the things that's happening is that people are working longer. And so right. you have these more experienced workers that are holding on to their jobs longer. And so it's harder to get those entry-level jobs as a new college graduate. But what I would say is that if you're you're persistent, there, there are opportunities out there and um, that – there, there is also a, a large, you know, the boomer generation is retiring as well. And so those jobs are going to become increasingly available. And the, if, but it, it is important to, to think about, you know, which industries are growing and which industries 
are declining in, in different industries are subject to, um, you know, different market forces. Uh, for instance, I do a lot of a lot of the other work that I do is in looking at communities that uh, have natural resource extraction. And so the shale boom. Right. Um, you know, right now oil is, is busting and prices are really low. And so if you're a petroleum engineer a couple of years ago, life was, was fantastic. Yeah, fat and happy. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that went to the little, that that was going to the smaller communities as well, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Most of the shale development that was occurring was in smaller, more rural communities. Yeah. So. Well, Michael, we appreciate you. Great insight. Keep up your work there. Wonderful work at The Ohio State University in the Department of Human Sciences. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to give you some tips on how to manage your computers. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, computers have become an essential part of everyday life, but they're also a source of frustration for many users. Our producer, Leanna Tan, shares her frustration with computers and some tips on how to make using your laptop, desktop, desktop and phone much easier. Welcome. You've got mail. I'm cursed. I know I am. I must have made some horrible mistake in a past life, or maybe my parents forgot to invite the evil fairy to my christening as a baby. I don't know what happened, but I'm cursed. Goodbye. Every time I go near technology, it seems to break. Seriously, I am eternally bound to handwritten notes because my computer is always the first to break down and the last to start up. So, I turn to the internet to find answers. I want to get online. I need a computer. I found an article on entrepreneur.com called Eight Bad Computer Habits You Need to Break and Why You Should. And then I came to the realization of why I have such technological misfortune. Yeah, well, I got unlucky. I guess there are a few things I could improve on. But I know how important technology is these days, and I wanted to save you from making the same mistakes I have, based on my own bad practices and technology failure. That is why you fail. I've come up with five warnings you should follow to save yourself from this horrid curse. What? Update your computer. My finger is on the button. Push the button. Yeah, I guess it's not the best idea to ignore all those software update pop-ups for years. When my friend finally intervened in my life and updated my laptop, <laughs> it worked. I realized I was three versions behind everyone else, and it was like a whole new world opened up to me. It amazes me how far technology advances in five years. I've got an iPhone 3GS. Isn't that amazing? I was actively using my laptop and still somehow living under a rock. Two! Use your antivirus protection. Clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. As appealing as they sound, cookies actually aren't yummy treats for your computer. And I'm definitely a culprit of this one. It's just so easy to hit the remind me later button. It just becomes a habit. I just expect that little pop-up to be on my desktop when I open it up. I don't even remember why it's there anymore. I think I would be a lot more suspicious that something was corrupting my computer if suddenly one day I didn't have that antivirus pop-up. I mean, it just seems like it takes so long to wait for it to scan through all those viruses. I know. But take it from me. It's worth it to spend a few minutes watching a loading bar than it is to spend a few seconds waiting for a page to load every time you click on something. I can't wait, I can't wait. 
don't fall for those advertising traps. Those evil Facebook postmakers lure you in with only half a picture of a celebrity's face and then a curiosity-inducing phrase like, you'll never believe what she did. And soon you find yourself sucked into a never-ending void of clicking through a billion ads and you never actually get to find out what she did, meanwhile filling your computer with all kinds of viruses and bugs. Virus equals very yes. That's not a good prize. Don't keep a million tabs open. I am known to have about 32 tabs open at any given time. What? If I click out of one, I might not remember how to navigate myself back to that web page. The World Wide Web is a vast and open place. It's easy to get lost. Lost. Oh, gee. Lost. Well. But yeah, I get it. When I complain my computer isn't downloading something quick enough to get my work done, the first thing any technician does is click out of about 30 of my tabs. Guess I should learn from the best. Bye. Don't sleep with your computer on your bed. This is overall just a horrible idea. You may fall asleep and think your computer is safe and snug at the foot of your bed, but you'd be surprised how a slight tug on a blanket or a change in position can send your precious laptop flying from the top bunk and crashing to the floor. It's a it's kind of hard to expect high performance from a computer that's, well, in smithereens. Plus, think of all the back kinks you can get from rolling over that thing. That's gotta hurt. So really, the gist of this is, your computer is really like any human. It hates bugs, viruses, and freezing to death. So before you rush to call IT, Have you tried turning it off and on again? Just remember my advice. Treat technology like your best friend. Keep it updated. Avoid getting sucked into online gossip. Don't make it do too many things at once. Don't feed it any nasty cookies. And at least give it the bottom bunk. Follow these warnings and lift the curse. Good luck. Well, I'm Liana Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Friday. <sighs> it's the day. It's the day. That uh, you get to wrap it up for the week, hopefully. And then, it's just nothing but family fun time. Football. And football. Tomorrow, the big uh, game between BYU and Utah. Well, that, there's that one. There's that one game. game. There's There will be apparently 50 other college games. Apparently not very good this week. Last week was really good. A lot of, a lot of good lot matchups. Of good, get, big good teams games. going at it. This week is the week it kind of everyone plays and someone who's NFL not so NFL on Sunday. There's that. If you're into that, breaking the Sabbath day that way. Mm. <laughs> no judgment there. Sounded judgy. <laughs> no, I won't miss it. Um, sadly, we today we'll be talking about our movies. Sully's, uh, the, the movie Sully will be out, which and we've interviewed Sully Sullenberger on the show mm-hmm. twice. The man that lands an airplane in the Hudson. Are you kidding me? Well, on the Hudson. Yeah. There's in, and then there's on. Well, yeah, I guess it then floated half in. Yeah. Half on. 
He was the last person off the off the plane, though. What a guy! Great Tom, story. Tom Hanks plays Sully. Mm. Can you imagine having a Clint movie? Eastwood directs? Oh, which is great because it's like a grumpy old man movie, which yeah. is Clint Eastwood. Did it's a get off my plane, get off my lawn sort make of make my day. Yeah. Did Sully pull a gun? If this was twenty years ago, Clint Eastwood would be Sully. Mm. He's a neat guy. Sully or Clint? Sully. Oh, okay. Clint's probably a great guy too. He's just grumpy. Never, he talked, never met. He talks Clint. to uh, empty chairs at conventions. He so. does. <laughs> Made famous talking to an empty chair. That was just an acting opportunity. He was just needed to fill in the audience. Yeah. People were kind of confused. Moving on. Uh, we'll be speaking with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. Then we'll give you also. Um, we do this little thing called a news flush, mm. where all the headlines we couldn't handle this week, we will flush them and get rid of them, so we don't have to listen to those again. <laughs> Oh, looks like Jeff's joining us now. Yep, just make sure the pipes work. Jeff, just shut the door, Jeff, when you <laughs> flush. Need some privacy, thank you. We will then visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show as they get ready for the BYU-Utah game and, of course, the hero of the day. Then we wrap up the show, hermetically seal the doors, and it's nap time for Poppy. But first, before the whole party begins, let's get to Sadie Nielsen, and she'll guide us through the headlines. Sadie? San Francisco quarterback Colin Kaepernick has been met with both jersey burning and defense from the president over his decision to sit in protest during the national anthem as a means of calling attention to police brutality and racial injustice in America. Denver Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall took a knee last, n- last night. Now Seattle Seahawks receiver Doug Baldwin told the Seattle Times he's also considering sitting for the star single banner at Sunday's opening game. And linebacker Bobby Wagner said there is talk in the locker room of making a gesture together as a team. A varying majority of Americans have disproved of the Affordable Care Act since 2013 and for more and for many more that position is more of a matter of policy than personal gain or loss. But a new Gallup poll results released Thursday say percentage of Americans who believe their families have been directly hurt by Obamacare is at an all-time high of 29%. The poll also found more Americans are more likely to believe Obamacare's long-term effect on their health will be negative than positive. Donald Trump has promised to make America safe again, and in order to prove it, he bragged he would have caught Osama bin Laden before the September 11, 2001 attacks ever happened. I would have been tougher on terrorism. Bin Laden would have been caught a long time ago before he was ultimately caught prior to the downing of the World Trade Center, Trump told an audience in Cleveland. And finally, in your Paralympic news... Team GB's Paralympic athletes are already over in Brazil, ready to win us a new Hall of Medals. But a rare fruit is currently causing more of a stir than any of the sports. Are you ready for this? Yes. The double banana was discovered by the cycling team, who were quite amazed. The man who discovered it, Pete Mitchell, said he was startled when he unwrapped the fruit and to discover two bananas in one peel. What? Yep. And a spokesman for the, get this, the Caribbean Banana Exporters Association also Mm. expressed his surprise, saying uh, they'd never have encountered any double bananas before. There's always money in the banana stand. (laughs) (laughs) There's always money in the banana stand. Wow, Sadie, that's big news. Twice the potassium for half the money. Yeah, Mm. it's great. Well done, Sadie. Good job. The most annoying part of a banana is the peel. Is it? It's keeping you from getting to the banana. That's the fun part, I think. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, stuff. it's just this perfect fruit, just right. nicely sealed away in its own little peel. Mm. 
There's always money where, Jeffrey? There's always money in the banana stand. Don't forget it. Just so you know, if you're looking for something to watch later this morning, yes, Chelsea Clinton will be on The View. Okay. So if you want to go ahead and tune in and watch that, I know um, you're a fan. So what would I watch just, just to see her talk? Well, I know you watch The View. I love The View. Yeah. That's why we got to get the show done so I can go watch The View. So yesterday was funny. The um, a lot of fallout from that forum with yeah. Clinton and uh, Trump. The presidential the forum. On NBC, uh, Matt Lauer took a lot of lumps uh-huh. for his questioning of both the candidates. Right. They both kind of lashed out at the questioning of both. Of, you know, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Uh, but CBS and ABC's nightly newscast led with the Trump-Clinton uh, war of words that were provoked by the forum. NBC led with Wells Fargo and some of the firings they made over some uh, practices within their company that was kind of fraudulent. So they led with a whole different story rather than themselves. Yeah. Okay. So that's smart, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. A little distraction. The ratings on that, uh-huh. f- 15 million people watched that. Wow. They were expecting 10. Wow. So that is, that's a lot better. And which is interesting because I thought people would have a lot of fatigue. You would think at some point people would not want to see it, but 15 million people is a, is a big number for a political show. Mm. It's a big number for Where really any show. Hey, um, I've got some bad news. Uh, for you, especially Terry, you well, know how you're big into snuggling. Okay, depends on the person. There's pretty much just one. Yeah, two maybe. Your baby boy. Uh, He's not a baby. He needs more of a bath before we get across those roads. So, so uh, some jerk <laughs> stole. Snuggling's become um, a movement. Yeah, where they now have professional snugglers. These people that will. In a in a platonic way, they will they'll snuggle with you. There are uh, support groups. Support groups of snugglers. There's people. I mean, there's more and more people that are not married, not in a relationship, and they want human contact. Right. And and they. And this isn't sexual. This no, is simply just s- straight platonic, and it's. <laughs> but they just want to be touched. Yeah. They're starving for touch. Mm. Softener. Hi, I'm Snuggle. Snuggly softness. That's really oh. less expensive. Yeah, it's a teddy bear. Isn't he cute? Yeah. So that's what it's about. But there's these groups, and this the story goes on to another, but usually the groups are, there's a building, and you go in, yeah. and there's a bunch of- It's like of, a yoga class, but you just yeah. have a cuddle class. And they have blankets, and there's all this- Pillows, and pedal, you just, yeah. everyone just cuddles, no hanky-panky, nothing's no. going on. Well, here's the dilemma. So a company in, in um, Portland, Oregon- also known as Portlandia, they they have a company called um, what's the name of the Snuggle? Oh, it's the Snuggle Mobile. It's a it's a traveling show where the woman Shania Luther, she's a professional snuggler. It's a service. She has a car and a Snuggle um, trailer. It's a facility. Yeah. It's, it's And it's where she keeps all of her pillows and all of the goods. She brings the snuggle to you. Right. Well, the problem is some jerk stole the trailer. Oh. Right? And it... They stole the snuggle mobile. So she's now can't snuggle like she used to. Right. Her services are not as, as mobile. $5,000 worth of mats, pillows, mm. and other snuggle materials. And she feels violated and hurt. 
So she wants everyone to know. And she needs a snuggle. To look out for this orange trailer. Does someone need a hug? <laughs> yeah, they need a snuggle. And it's not, it's sad. So we just wanted everyone to know that look out for orange trailers. If you see an orange trailer, if it says U-Haul, not snuggle. Yeah, it's the wrong color orange. Right. Yeah. If it says like Vivint, home, whatever, not That's snuggle. Wrong one. Are you a snuggler, Matt? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he, he has some, uh, what is it? On your deathbed, you want your family to come snuggle yeah, you I want, cuddle with I you. Yeah, I want to be hugged to death. Yeah, want your family. Your... <laughs> it's in my will. I want every child and my wife to cuddle and snuggle with me and you're, you're, until you're, I die. You're talking about taking a shift, coming yeah, in. rotate. Next. Everyone rotates. Mm-hmm. Next one, come on in. Yeah. You, you're talking about like everyone that gets involved with your family. Right. Just so you could just... I guess, I don't know. Right. Why would you want to do this? Well, just because I think it would bond us. Okay. I think it would help everyone through the mourning process. I want people, when I'm dying, not to send flowers. That's all I want. Ah, oh, shoot. You, you need some you, snuggling. It, uh, se- it seems like an easy an easy out just to go, I'll just send some flowers. You know what? I'll bring the whole team over, and we'll just all cuddle with you. Mm. So what kind of jerk does that? Steals the cuddle mobile. So rude. Yeah. Well, what kind of jerk does it is the kind of jerk that is not such a snuggly guy anymore. Hmm. We have found, I think, video, didn't we? We were looking for video of the guy that stole the snuggle mobile. Hmm. What kind of guy would do that? I don't know. First of all, what would you want with a bunch of pillows? Right. Pillow fight? Maybe he's just into pillow fighting. Yeah. Wants a nice, comfortable place to lay down, so he took it. So There's all sorts of reasons. Yeah. We're not going to play the video. It's too dangerous. For the brightest colors always. What the? Uh-oh. Dark Snuggle. Introducing Battle Tanks. Battle <laughs> <laughs> Somebody... Battle Tank took on wow. the Snuggle Bear, and then I think he didn't make it. That all of a sudden got real. It got very ugly. Anyway, our hearts are out to those uh, in Portland that won't be able to snuggle. Just You might have to go do it the old-fashioned way, without all the pillows. And I wish my wife liked to snuggle. Hmm. Maybe you should have a personal talk about that. Do you want to have her call me? Matt could help. No. These are the kind of things Matt deals with. She doesn't like to snuggle, but I still call her my snuggle muggle. Really? She not a she's not a witch or a no magical powers whatsoever. It's just a muggle. Hmm. Poor lady. Well, what are you gonna do? Any other news we need to worry about, Terry? We were talking about football this weekend. Uh, Charleston Southern will face Florida State in Tallahassee on Florida. In Florida. Who? On why Saturday. why why do we need to know that? Um, it's interesting because the Buccaneers, the Charleston Southern Buccaneers, are yeah. thirty-seven point underdogs. Yeah, to Florida State. Florida State's good. This is kind of the type of game I was telling you about that makes this weekend not so good for college football. If you have anything you want to do this weekend, 
this is the weekend to do it. This is the game. This is when we have the Utah BYU game, the biggest game well, of that, BYU's. That's later in the evening, but like throughout the day, if you like to catch up on some that's college you play football, tennis. You play just tennis skip in the day. it. It's a bad weekend. Okay. Well, the reason this is an issue is in, uh, on a Facebook post, wide receiver from Charleston Southern, his name's Colton Korn, said the uh, 30 players from this football team have been suspended for Sunday or Saturday's game. What? Current uh, FCS teams only have 63 scholarships. And then there's several walk-ons. So about half the team has been suspended for Saturday's oh, game. Uh, he says the reason is uh, many of the players, including himself, have been suspended for using book money to buy other things in the bookstore, like pencils, binders, and electronics, out of our uh, out of the from the bookstore. So in other words, they were given money, part of their scholarships, to pay for books, yeah. and they bought pencils and binders and other things for class not books that's a violation they've been suspended for the weekend so a football team is losing 30 players hold on then that means they'll get beat by even more yeah i mean it's not an issue on who's going to win but 30 players suspended half the team is gone that's sad so you'll look for that i'm going to say florida state hit 70 points yeah without much effort yeah by halftime and And puts on the air brakes and they're their athletic department will probably make a cool billion or uh, 500 million. It could be around $700,000. Yeah. One million dollars. Could be a million dollars. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Okay. Well, got to be careful. Sure, you need pencils and stuff, but buy your books. You always got to buy your books. And remember the other lesson we taught you about the banana stand. There's always money in the banana stand. If you need money, go to the banana stand. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking movies with Parent Previews. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us now is Rod Gustafson. Rod is the, uh, I guess, the head of Parent Previews. He's just the, we'll just call him the... The, not the the he's the senior critic, is that what we'll call you, Rod? Sure, Are you the senior sure. critic? Is anyone else I, older than you there? <laughs> Gee, Matt, that, you are digging yourself I know, deeper and deeper. <laughs> no, but you do a great you do great work up there, Rod, with ParentPreviews.com, which is a you you critique films specializing in looking at them from um, a parent's perspective. And then you help us understand what movies and films and basically any media, really, um, we should be looking at uh, and how we should maybe take advantage of it with our children. Well, yes, that is that is the goal. And that's what we try and do. And hopefully we succeed every now and then. You do. So you do. And because it's Friday, we we need you to talk about two uh, new releases Um, today. I think we're going to talk about the wildlife and Sully. Let's start with the wildlife. Let's start with the wildlife. Really, Get you that threw over me with. a curveball. I thought you'd want Sully for sure. Well, the wildlife. Okay, this is a little animation, and it comes from Europe. And, you know, it's just, let me tell you the good things. Because okay. this is really the reason we gave this movie a B-, minus, which me, which means it's kind of right on the line of recommending it for family viewing. And it's not because there is 
so much bad content in it that we couldn't review that we couldn't recommend it for family viewing but it's just a matter of there's really not much to this movie but the good stuff is that so many of these little children's animations that come along are really, in my opinion, pushing adult agendas, Um, whether it can be everything from an environmentalism agenda, tolerance agenda. And I'm not saying that maintaining the environment or being tolerant of others are bad things, but to quote the old Cindy Lauper song from the 1980s, kids just want to have fun. (laughs) And it's hard to get a movie where the kids just can have fun. So the wildlife is the story about Robinson Crusoe, but the story is told from the, from the perspective of the animals that are on the Island when Robinson Crusoe lands and the animation isn't all that great. It really looks like video game animation from about eight years ago. And the story is a real by the number story, but you know, the audience I saw this movie with had a lot of kids in it. And they were laughing Hmm. right to the end. And I think the adults were in pain because the story really doesn't have, there's not two layers of humor there with with adult humor. It really just is a meat and potatoes uh, movie about these animals meeting their first human and everything the human does, the animals try and interpret it from their perspective. And in the end, they wind up helping the human build a nest hmm. high up in a tree. And that's Robinson Crusoe's treehouse. So, you know, not a whole lot in this movie that is going to cause concern for parents, but... This is one of those few movies where I'd say, parents, if there's a theater in the shopping mall, you're probably safe leaving the kids to go watch this movie where you get some groceries. <laughs> yeah, you go do something else. Go have fun. Yeah. So so it's a good one. Maybe rent it on video later. Let the kids yes. enjoy it. Okay. Yeah, this one is a good one to wait for on video. Now, the one I'm dying to know about is Sully uh, from Captain Chesley, uh, Sully Sullenberger. We've had him on the show twice, a uh, wonderful guest and incredible story when he tries to, when he makes that emergency landing on the Hudson River. Talk about Sully. Well, of course. And yeah, as you just mentioned, this is the story about that, the plane that came down in January of 2009 yeah, in the Hudson River after it hit a flock of Canada geese. You know, Canada gets blamed for everything, but that's right. a whole other show. You're a geese. But, so this is the story of that, of that amazing pilot that brought the plane safely to land on the water. Now, he's a hero, and he was a hero the moment he stepped out of that plane and saved all those lives. But this movie, which, by the way, is directed by Clint Eastwood, Mm. you you need to come up with an antagonist, or else the movie's only going to be four minutes long, because that's about how long the flight lasted. So the antagonist turns out to be the investigator from the the, uh, National Transport Safety Board, the NTSB, And what they do is they set up this situation, and I'll explain why I'm saying set up. They set up this situation where they're really wondering, did Sully make the right decision? Should he, did he put his passengers at undue risk by trying to land in the water, which is a very, very dangerous Mm -hmm. thing to do, of course. It's only been done successfully. You know, you can count on one hand. 
And or should he have tried to get back to LaGuardia? Should there was an airport in Jersey he could have gotten to? And so that is really the bulk of this movie is them questioning him as to whether he did the right thing. Now, in reality, Matt, what's interesting is some of the some of the head guys at, at the NTSB have actually voiced some concern about this movie. And they have said that's not what happened at all. And they are concerned that other pilots who have issues will mm. not want to cooperate with the NTSB because in this movie they appear to be out looking for looking for any way that they can to try and find out what Sully did wrong. Hmm. Boy, that's something yeah. you wouldn't. All of a sudden, uh, the the Hollywood the depiction is going to start to impact NTSB's ability to do their work and the safety of others. Yeah, there was a story on ABC News that uh, that is saying just that, that there have been concerns raised. Now, having said that, this is a really well-made movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood should have started directing movies years ago. I really have never appreciated him much as an actor, but boy, can that guy direct a film. Mm. The other interesting thing about Sully, and I think this is a subject that's probably becoming near and dear to Eastwood's heart, is that this is um, a movie that really celebrates age and wisdom. Hmm. And by the time you come through this film, there's a lot of talk right now about having autonomous aircraft or at least aircraft where they can reduce the flight crew, have the computer go through pretty much the whole flight and have one person overseeing the computer doing that. And by the time you come out of this movie, the point is very well made that no computer could have done what Sully did. Right. And, and you know, age and wisdom has value and i really appreciated that message in this film <laughs> because mm. i don't know if i'm any wiser but i am getting the age for sure i love it and when we interviewed uh sully he said he had there's no practicing of this on a simulator you can't practice because the simulators wouldn't allow you to practice land in the water so he had to do it all by feel and just prayer <laughs> Wing and a yes. prayer, and he—he he, really was. And I, I actually ended up uh, having. It's a great interview. In fact, we'll repost it on our Twitter page so people can listen to it. But it—it—he is—he is the real deal. Thousands and thousands of hours of just practicing, and and mm -hmm. and succeeding at landings, um, is it's what prepared him. But then he just also when you hear how calm he is as he's making these decisions, it's it's pretty intense. And Tom Hanks really plays that role very much in that light. Uh, when the NTSB are questioning him and, and he basically says, well, I eyeballed it. <laughs> that's yeah. what he says. That's you it. know, that's, I just, and you know, there is a lot of worth to that statement. There really, really is. <sighs> and, uh, and yeah, that's, that was something that, that was something I really did appreciate about the film was how he brings out that he's an, he's an ordinary guy just like many men and women who are doing their jobs every day, but we forget to recognize the experience and wisdom that we build through the years. And especially today when so many companies are looking to uh, get rid of their senior staff because they feel they're too expensive. They aren't worth the money. They cost too much in healthcare. Uh, there are some very good reasons to keep your senior staff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rod, we appreciate you. And again, we started out talking about how you're the senior uh, at <laughs> Parent Previews, and now we ended with take care of your senior staff. 
That's right. And Full with circle. my high paycheck, I'm <laughs> hanging on here. Parentpreviews.com is the website. A wonderful resource for you. Also, you can find them at Twitter, at Parent Previews. Rod, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Keep up the great work. We will take a break, my friends, when we come back to a little uh, news flush for you, and then we'll be visiting with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Five to ten. The sequel to Break It, the guy who broke into prison. Visiting hours are over. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here as we uh, do a little news flush for you. This is where we we, have, we always have a lot of stories left over, things we just haven't been able to get to, and we like to flush them so we can have a, you know, a clean slate next week. So, Terry, do you have a, a story that you'd like to, you know, throw in the bowl? <laughs> wow, the metaphors. Um, alphabet. They're yes. the company that was Google, then they reorganized, and so Alphabet's the parent company. Mm-hmm. Google's one of the subsidiaries underneath it. The parent company of Google, Alphabet, plans this month to use drones to deliver burritos to a small number of staff and students at Virginia Tech, a limited test of the tech giant's ambitious plans to quicken deliveries with unmanned aircraft. But they're starting with burritos. So they're just going to drop burritos? Yes. It's a great idea. What could now, go wrong there? The caution is they will ferry burritos from a Chipotle Mexican grill. So it could be E. coli. They've had that issue. Oh, yeah. They've had They've sort of cleaned them up, but I'm but, like, yeah. you know, caution. So uh, that's cool. A little drone delivery system. So there's a food truck they have. And so they're going to have the make the burritos and then ferry them from the restaurant to the food truck. Fresh made, I guess. Wow. They're just you have fun. it's an excuse to use a drone, but That's I great. think it's a good way to do that with food. Well, it, it's better than, you know, launching them with one of those compressed air launchers. Yes. Yeah, that's not good. Good. And then uh, the other idea that Amazon has them delivering packages and stuff falls off and you're not sure what's going on, so. So you want us to flush yeah, that? Yeah, flush that story. We're done with it. Flush it. The funny thing about it is it will be flushed in Okay, moving on. Hey, uh, Oregon cop, this is a great story. An Oregon cop noticed that uh, there was somebody in the police department, a homeless man had walked in Hmm. shoeless because apparently somebody had had taken his boots and his socks. Oh, wow. So he's homeless, has no socks, has no boots, and without saying anything, the cop just went to the store – Bought him some shoes, bought him some socks, came back, and oh, and bought him a, a bedroll and took care of the guy. Oh, wow. And nobody knew except for the dispatchers noticed the guy then had socks and shoes in this bedroll, and they couldn't figure out how he got it. So they went and looked at the video and found out it was one of their cops. One of the officers, uh, so the dispatcher looked at it. She informed North Bend Police Chief Robert Kappelman, uh, who pow- proudly posted the the video um, of this compassionate officer. Officer Gaither wow. took care of this guy. Went out of his way. Way cool, isn't it? 
So he's he's a hero of the day, and we're just going to flush him. It sounds bad, but it's just a story we haven't had time to get to yet. Another story, we've talked before, there was a uh, a huge asteroid that the uh, astronomers yeah. are watching. Last week I told you about an asteroid that zipped past over the weekend that they didn't even know was existed. Then all of a sudden they're like, wow, and it was like 50,000 miles away. We're in space. That's super close. That's so right? close. Yeah. Well, now they found another one. It, they saw it just in time to watch it pass the Earth, less than a tenth of the distance between us and the moon. Right? So wow. this thing's just zipping by. It's the second time this happened in two weeks, and so uh, they're questioning what have we done as a people to, to anger space. Uh, the most recent asteroid, it's called 2016 RB1, which sounds like they just found this thing. Right, it's right? brand new. Both slightly smaller, slightly closer than the, uh, the one that uh, came by last week. It says, uh, let's see here, it says measured some, somewhere between 25 and 50 feet across, came at us at a distance of 25,000 miles. So even closer. Wow. And uh, the other one is 50,000 miles. So really the concern is we can't see these. They're too small until they're right on top of us. But if they hit, can they really tell us anything? Can they give us some sort of early warning? Like if you're in Brazil, watch out. Right. Now, I don't think they can. Right, no. So do you no. want to know or just better just I don't want to know. Let it happen. I'd just like to be watching a drone fly a burrito. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get destroyed. Bam! Bam! So flush that story. Flush it. I think Pluto had something to do with that. Too. I'm yeah. sure next time he comes on the show, we ought to ask him if he comes on. He's been mad at us lately. Scientists uh, are going to name a tiny new fish after President Obama. Huh. Uh, President Barack Obama spent last uh, week, this was a couple weeks ago, in uh, in Hawaii, I guess, remember, and uh, created the world's largest protected marine monument there, promising $40 million to help the island nations with their threaten, that are being threatened by climate change and other issues. And now, because of that, three scientists have come up with the perfect way to thank him for his efforts. Hawaii-based marine biologists Randall Kosaki, Richard Pyle, and Brian Green are going to name a new fish species after the president. It's a very special fish because, as far as we know, it's the only fish species so far that is endemic to the area Hmm. because it's got like a huge name, but to that national monument area. So the the name of the fish um, is, is going to be named – I'm trying to find it here – uh, during a visit, Obama's visit, they they announced this name, and it's basically going to be called the Obama fish. The Obama fish. All right. Well, and he's he was honored. He thinks the fish looks beautiful. It's a nice looking fish. Is it a bigger sort of ear type? No. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. No. No big ear okay. type. <laughs> Don't know why they decided. Uh, it does use a teleprompter a lot. Okay. Well, you know. And. Um, prefers to play basketball over any other sport okay and every once in a while breaks into a little song yeah so that's pretty neat this is the fish this is the school of fish singing a appreciation song to their great new leader yeah pretty neat huh pretty neat okay Anyway, flush it as you do every other fish that dies in your care. Then they grow to be the size of football. Last story, a uh, science says that pizza may increase productivity at work. Good. 
What do you think about that? Absolutely. David Airely. Have we had him on the show? I'm saying it's in uh, bold, the yeah. name in bold. Airely. David, he's been on the show. Okay. Yeah. So you wrote oh, a book. Airely, yeah. He wrote a book called Payoff, The Hidden Logic. Yeah. It shapes our motivations, examines the notion that even more so than money, pizza, or says even more so than money, pizza could be the thing that makes workers want to try harder and accomplish more. Hmm. Says in a study, he looked at workers who made computer chips in Israel to find out what incentivized them more, food, money, or praise. And they found at the end that it was food. Uh, of course. Especially here, have you noticed? You throw donuts out here and it's like a feeding frenzy. So you got the first group got was promised pizza, the second group promised cash, like 20 bucks. Uh, for their their goal, and the third group was uh, received a text message from the boss complimenting on their hard work, and the fourth group was given nothing because you had to have a control group that just did their job. And and the guys that got the pizza were six point seven percent more productive. Holy cow! Does it matter what kind of pizza? It didn't go in that deep. Just I'm gonna pizza. go. I'm gonna go with meat or Casi carne. So pizza Our was a better vendor. motivator than cash or some sort of pat on the back. Oh, my heavens. Good news. Good news. There you go. Okay, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be visiting our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, see how they're getting ready for the big rivalry game tomorrow between BYU and Utah. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. A little snuggly song for our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. We'll explain why. Let's go down to the great two snugglies, uh, Spencer and Jeremy. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, my friends? Can you hear me now? Oh, I know you're there. Are you two, are you two ignoring me, you sillies? Oh, I know. Matthew, you. can you hear me? I can Matthew. hear you now. I hear Matthew. you, kids. Oh, I got you. The How music you? was blaring in our ears. Was it really? We're down at Deseret First Credit Union. Oh, that's right. You guys yeah. are on the road. Yeah, we're, we're outside. We're outside today. Hey, Remote action. Will you pick me up some Korean food? Uh, from Cup, Cup Up. Up, yeah. Are you Love right it. there? We are right next door to Cup Up. Oh, I might have to come Spencer walk down. Spencer served his two-year LDS mission trip to South Korea. Kurosumida, hanshigana aju masinindeyo. Kajigwa maseyo. Wow. I've learned a lot, I know. Did you just order my food? <laughs> so, I don't know. I think Jeremy Jerem, Jerem is, Jerem is spitting nonsense in Korean. I said, bring it, Korean. <laughs> Which literally means, like, it's not like the slang. It doesn't translate to English, so it literally means, like, bring something. So, so the people would be like, Br- uh, bring what? So in Vegas, we went to a sushi place uh, in March, and uh, I said, <laughs> at a Korean sushi place, I said, kajigwa. <laughs> Which so is, said, like, super low form of, like, Hey, bring the food. <laughs> bring the food now, jerk. <laughs> please. Is, bring dude, it out, please. The dude just started laughing in Jerem's face. <laughs> don't ever don't ever make a sushi chef mad though. You, that is rule true. Number two that is true. L- listen, if you cook blowfish the wrong way, it can kill you. Oh. That is not a joke. Like so, whenever my companion, like my my buddy in Korea, be like, "Hey, let's uh, let's go have some uh, blowfish." What? It's, it's delicious. That's my fish like, of choice too. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, and he'd always joke like, "Yeah, can you can you believe that they cook it wrong? We're gonna die." I'm like that. <laughs> why are we? What? Why are we doing this? What? Put another blowfish on the Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Hey, did you guys? Uh, did you watch the game last night? 
Uh, of course, we watched the game. Not did w- not watch the game because I was calling. You were calling soccer. soccer. Yeah. That's right. I watched some of it. It was a good game. There was apparently there was a lot of targeting supposedly of of people's heads. Yeah, I'm kind of upset because I I picked Carolina to win that game. Really? Yeah, I had I had some stuff on the line with some guys. You know, <laughs> stuff on some the blowfish. line. Well then, <laughs> well. You know, yeah, <laughs> blowfish we, un- <laughs> we understand. You you had a bet for blowfish, yeah, and you lost it all. Did um, by the uh, way that quarterback, that new quarterback, Simeon, Trevor Simeon, Trevor Simeon, incredible, great job. Seriously, he was a, he's a game manager. He's Fru- what Denver needs him to be. Few interceptions, but who wouldn't throw an interception? I mean, come a lot on. of pressure. Yeah. Hey, take over after we won the Super Bowl for uh, Peyton Manning <laughs> under John Elway as right. the uh, team general manager. Good luck, Super Bowl champ. Oh wait, is, what is John Elway's official title? Is he the general manager or is he like the boss? I think is the, they call the him. Boss. Yeah. Yeah. they call him. He's the boss, the man. Okay, the Manning. Hey, uh, there's. It seems like I can't remember, but it seems like there's something going on this weekend. In mm. sports, there's a lot going on mm. this weekend. Is yeah. there, Na- namely Brigham Young University versus? That's school up north. Countdown to kick off live at 6.30 Eastern tomorrow. Mm, it's, exci- it's exciting. Today we'll talk to John Beck. John Beck! Ten years ago. Yeah. BYU yeah. beat Utah and Salt Lake City. That's the last time they did it. Yep. John Beck will be on the show as well as Brian uh, Keel. This is it. BYU-Utah heroes. This is it, guys. Hey, I've done my Google homework, Matt. What? John Albert Elway Jr. is a former American football quarterback and the current executive vice president of football operations. That's right. And general manager of the Denver Broncos. Mm. So there you go. He's, yeah. Oh, that's a good gig, right? You go you go win some Super Bowls there back in the day, and then you just go be the GM. And then Initially you... it wasn't. He Listen, John Elway, John Elway to the Denver Broncos is Ty Detmer to BYU football. On right. a smaller scale, obviously, but yeah. Ty Detmer means that much to BYU football. He John Elway means that to the Denver Broncos. That is It'd so be like cool. Steve Young being the athletic director. Man. That's the comparison. Oh. Yeah, if you want to make the exact parallel, yeah. 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 What about um, – and, that, and that's what comparisons generally are. Hey, Jerem, why don't you just uh, <laughs> go shut your yapper, okay? Why don't you go get some <laughs> blowfish, Jerem? <laughs> yeah, go eat some blowfish. Okay, okay here's some cup pop. Go get some bad blowfish. <laughs> what, uh, what, what's, uh, do you guys have any, you know, predictions for tomorrow? Uh, we will Pain. have predictions. In fact, that is the is basis your show? of this Friday oh, show. Oh, oh, oh. We call it oh, yes. going for two. We yes. make two predictions each. Mm. As of last week, I have a slim lead over Jerem Jordan. One oh, to nil. Oh, really? So, yeah. Yeah. so we're going to keep track all football season. Okay, yep. this is good. And you'll have two predictions every show. So Every Friday. And is one of the predictions going to be the win? Uh, you're going to have to listen to or watch the show listen. to find that out. I'm just going to answer that right now. Yeah. I'm not huge on predictions working for a university. What? Why would we pick against that university? Like, what right. good would that do? Right. So you'd I be never fired. do predictions. Yeah, you'd be. Yeah. I never do predictions. Yeah, that good. said, okay. I already Others called my can. shot twice this week. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it worked. Like BYU Michigan State. What's gonna? Why would I predict BYU is going to? Like, I think BYU will lose the game. Yeah. Why would and I say nobody that? Nobody will ever then, listen to Jeremy again. And then the athletic department's like, "What is that? We're not giving you any." I'm just going yeah. with the stats, guys. Okay, that's good. So they have to watch your show if they want to know the the this that I'm not going to predict the score. Yeah, but it's good that they know that because <laughs> now they know what you will predict. A exactly. variety of other things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. We always do. Anything else on the show? You've only got a few more minutes. We have a dunk tank. I'm going in. Are you really? And, and we've got a we've got a Utah fan here, so he's going to go in too. 
Of course, Fun. a Utah fan would show up wearing a Sugar Bowl 2009 Sugar Bowl oh. champions. Does it fit him anymore? Is he just really overweight and the T-shirt doesn't fit him? No, he looks good. Is he healthy and He's looking good? He's a good-looking good young man. Darn Darn it. It. Unfortunately, he is he is fit. Okay. And All right. He's, he's, well, uh, he's a good-looking dude. More yeah. fun to dunk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. More fun. So everybody, you got to listen to the show and uh, watch it, of course, and then you'll get to see Dunk Tank. A Dunk Tank. Okay, yeah, I'm going in. Okay, have a great show. Good luck in the speedo. Thanks, love, Matthew. Love, love you. See you guys. Love huh? you. Peace out. Love loves. Ah, uh, how come they get to do live shots? We're just stuck in the studio. <sighs> hmm. Hey, happy wonderful weirdos day. Don't know. <laughs> Don't know why it just reminded me of that, but happy wonderful weirdos day. Also, two stories I got to get to. Um, that one is the California burglars. We talked earlier about the burglars from Milan that that burrowed a tunnel underneath a bank in order to break into the bank, and people were complaining the ground's vibrating. I think someone's trying to tunnel into the bank, and nobody believed them. And then, boom! All the next thing you know. They rob the bank. But California burglars are a little different. The Americans, we do it a little different. Um, Here's the burglars. Here's a little note for all you that are thinking of, you know, stealing something. Don't fall asleep outside the place that you just burglarized in the vehicle full of all the loot that you stole. A pair of 17-year-olds in Central California were arrested and released to the custody of their parents after passing out outside of a construction site. Their blue SUV packed with copper wires and other items from the property, police said. The youth uh, had also uh, had a loaded gun, which investigators determined had been stolen weeks earlier. And they were spotted in their car by a sheriff's deputy shortly after midnight with a strong odor of drugs coming from the car. No way. No way. Way, dude. (laughs) Sounded like, I don't know, some beach boy. We've uh, run across it before. People who are intoxicated or high on drugs passed out at the scene. It's just not very common. You know, the least they could do is drive a block away, two blocks away. Anyway, that's their story, folks, and they're sticking to it. A couple of hero stories for you today. We always like to end the show with a hero story. Today, we're going to see if we can get in, too. A Texas mom stepped up to the plate, complete with a Texas Rangers baseball cap, for her son last week in the most heartwarming way. Fox 4 reports that Yvette Vasquez was dropping her son Elijah off at Fort Worth's Sioux Crouch uh, Intermediate School Thursday morning when she remarked aloud about how many more cars there were in the parking lot than usual. Elijah informed her the crowd... uh, The crowded lot was for Donuts with Dad Day, an announcement that spurred a creative single mom into immediate action. I was about to let him miss out, she wrote in Facebook post later that morning, explaining that uh, the two rushed home so she could prep for their father-themed event by donning a plaid shirt, a fake mustache, and a ranger's cap, as well as a spritz of men's cologne. I know seeing other dads with their kids isn't easy for mine, but it's, it's life. At least I can do whatever it takes to put a smile on his face, she wrote. Her post has already received more than 15,000 likes. She had to basically dress like a man to go be there for Dad with Donuts with Dad's Day. And uh, so we're going to hold Yvette Vasquez up as a hero of the day for being there for her child. And the second hero of the day is Pope Francis, who invited 1,500 homeless people to a pizza party 
to celebrate Mother Teresa's uh, sainthood. That's a pretty cool thing. The uh, the pontiff invited 1,500 homeless people to a pizza lunch at the Vatican after the canonization mass for Mother Teresa. 250 sisters and priests were there also to help uh, serve, and uh, tons of pizza came out of the ovens just to feed everybody. Heroes abound, folks. You are a hero as well. Let's uh, let's try to step it up this weekend. If you have a little more time with your family and friends. Give them the time, give them the attention they need, be there for each other. And as we uh, lift our families and we lift our lives, we lift the rest of the world. Until Monday, make it a great one, folks. Take care of each other. Check us out on iTunes, on TuneIn. We're everywhere. Look us up also on BYURadio.org and check out the Facebook page. It's everywhere. Just find us. We'll continue this all Monday. Take care and make it a great one.